Thank you for being a part of our church service today. It is our desire at Riverstone Church that God's Word will work in you to produce an abundant field life. To know more about the ministry or to support, visit riverstonechurch.net. May the Lord bless you today as you listen to this message. Being in a good mood is really great, and most languages have lots of words to describe the experience, like happy, cheerful, joyful, and so on. The same goes for the languages of the Bible. In ancient biblical Hebrew, there's a variety of words, like simcha, sason, or gil. In the Greek New Testament, there's kara, euphrasune, or agaliasis. Each word has its own unique nuance, but they all basically refer to the feeling of joy and happiness. Now what makes these biblical joy words interesting is noticing the kinds of things that bring happiness, and also seeing how joy is a key theme that runs through the whole story of the Bible. Let's start with sources of joy. On page one of the Bible, God says that this world is very good. And so naturally, people find joy in beautiful and good things of life, like growing flocks or an abundant harvest on the hills. The poet of Psalm 104 says a good bottle of wine is God's gift to bring joy to people's hearts. People find joy at a wedding or in their children. There's even a Hebrew proverb that compares the joy that perfume brings to your nose with the joy a good friend brings to your heart. However, human history isn't just a joy fest. The biblical story shows how we live in a world that's been corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So when the Israelites were suffering from slavery in Egypt, God raised up Moses to lead them into freedom. And the first thing the Israelites did was sing for joy. Even though they were in the middle of a desert, they were vulnerable, the promised land was still far away, they rejoiced anyway. Later biblical poets looked back on this story and they remembered how the Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. This joy in the wilderness, this was a defining moment, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. This theme appears later in Israel's story, when Israel suffered under the oppression of foreign empires. The prophet Isaiah looked for a day when God would raise up a new deliverer like Moses. That's when those redeemed by the Lord will return to Zion with glad shouts, with eternal joy crowning their heads. Happiness and joy will overtake them. And while the Israelites wait they chose joy to anticipate their future redemption. This is why it's significant that when Jesus of Nazareth was born, it was announced as good news that brings great joy. We're told that Jesus himself rejoiced and gave thanks to God his Father when he began to announce the kingdom of God. He even taught his followers the same joy in the wilderness, saying, when people reject you or persecute you for following me, rejoice, be very glad, because your reward is great in heaven. After his death and resurrection, Jesus commissioned his followers to go out and announce the good news that he was the risen king of the world. And as they did so, the early Christian communities were known for being full of joy, even when they were persecuted. Like when the Apostle Paul was sitting in a dirty Roman prison, he could say that he's chosen joy, even if he gets executed. He called this the joy of faith, or joy in the Lord. He believed it was the gift of God's spirit, a sign that Jesus' presence is with you, inspiring hope in the midst of hardship. 
And when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances. Now, this doesn't mean that you ignore or suppress your sorrow. That's not healthy or necessary. Paul often expressed his grief about missing loved ones or losing friends or his own freedom. He called it being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. As he acknowledged his pain, he also made a choice to trust Jesus that his loss wouldn't be the final word. This is very different from the trite advice to turn that frown upside down. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And that's what biblical joy is all about. Today is the third uh, Sunday of Advent, and our first uh, Sunday, Brother Chris shared with us about uh, peace. Uh, last Sunday, we spoke about hope, and this Sunday, uh, we will speak about joy. In the, in the Advent uh, series, joy is actually a, shown as a different color because it's, a, I would say, a very unique gift of the Lord, a unique grace of the Lord. And as the video shared, having joy even in the midst of sorrow. If you will, let's, uh, let's stand together and read from the word of the Lord, a familiar portion of scripture out of Luke chapter 1. I'm going to uh, read this morning as our text, verses 5 through uh, 20 for our, our context, and we'll, we'll focus in uh, more or less on the uh, beginning portions of this passage, but we'll begin in verse 5. It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before the Lord. Before, it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zacharias said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day 
when these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. God, we pray for your blessings upon the public reading of Scripture. We thank you, God, for uh, the ministry of your Spirit over these next few moments that uh, will break to us the bread of life. I pray, Lord Jesus, uh, that you will uh, help me to be uh, obedient uh, to the meaning and the context of this passage, Lord, and that you will help us together to hear what you would say, that we'll be faithful hearers and doers of your word. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Had a wonderful time in the Lord last night down on East High Street. I want to thank everyone who's worked really, uh, really hard to make so much of that come to pass. Amen. Amen. You know, uh, pastorally, being able to uh, serve in a vocational role here at the church is certainly a real, a real honor, and it also uh, is, is humbling in many ways because there are people in this fellowship who put forth uh, as, as much effort uh, working outside vocations uh, and joyfully give to the Lord uh, in their free time. And it's a real blessing to see so many of our brothers and sisters who so willingly give of their time, not out of a love of a person, uh, but out of a love of the Lord, of desiring to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ and to please Him out of the joy they have in uh, serving Him. So all of you who helped with last night, thank you so much uh, for everything that uh, you did to pull things together. And for those of you who've been uh, prayer warriors, uh, walking the streets, and all those things, it's such a blessing uh, for you to do that. So we'll do that again this Saturday night <laughs> at uh, 6 o'clock for those of you who'd like to be a part of that. This story in uh, Scripture, to me, is really just a, a beautiful passage. I really enjoy the Christmas story, reading it uh, any time of the year, because it's such a story that is full of hope and grace uh, from the Lord. And I don't know that we ever really fully get a picture of really what was happening. We don't have a full understanding of actually what was going on in the minds of the people who were part of uh, the Christmas story. But uh, I just want to encourage you to just spend some time over the next several weeks uh, within this passage as you reflect on the meaning of Christmas and what it means for God to have a very point in time that all of history was working towards and for all of these uh, events to come together in one beautiful, miraculous way for us to make it uh, to, for the Lord to make it to the cross, us to be able to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the same thing in history, that everything that we're doing as a church should point us back to that moment in history of the Lord Jesus Christ and his death upon uh, the cross. So this story about Zacharias and Elizabeth, at the time of uh, this particular event, most people believe that Zacharias would have been a little later in life, uh, somewhere more than probably 60 years old. So he would have spent quite a time in the priestly service of uh, the Lord. In uh, the order of the temple, there were uh, 24 
orders of about a thousand priests in each order to manage what was necessary to keep the, the industry of the temple and the responsibilities of the temple moving forward. Zacharias's order was called upon to offer incense at that specific uh, day. And so a cohort within that order of a thousand of about 50 people would split up the responsibilities of the day. And there would be part who would take the morning responsibilities and part who would take the evening responsibilities. And if you were chosen as the one who actually got to offer the incense on the altar, that was a once in a lifetime opportunity. Uh, if you were chosen by lot, you received received uh, that blessing, and you were considered as a priest to have been richly blessed. And so you never received that opportunity again because your hope was that your other brothers in the priesthood, they also would have opportunity to receive that blessing. So this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and Zacharias, at this specific point, at this specific time, was chosen by lot to enter into the uh, place to offer incense unto the Lord. And that lot fell to him. And this specific time, the angel Gabriel was there with a visitation to tell Zacharias things that would bring him, his family, his countrymen, and the world tidings of great joy. And this is the essence of the gospel, the good news. It is good news of great joy. You and I, we can think about the difficulty in this world. We can think about the challenges that we face as a people. We can think about our culture in which we live. But one of the things we must come to know as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that as was shared with us, even in the midst of great sorrow, we ought to be people of exceedingly great joy because the gospel has visited us. And if we are in relationship with Jesus, our hearts have been transformed. The good news of great joy. But Christian joy comes to us as believers when we are in the right position to receive that joy. When we're in the right position to receive that joy. The Bible says in the scriptures that we just read that Zacharias and Elizabeth, they were righteous in the sight of God. That they were blameless in all the commandments and the requirements of the Lord. They were righteous and they were blameless in all the commandments. The Bible also tells us that Elizabeth was barren. Both of them were advanced in years. Often barrenness in scripture is a sign of spiritual barrenness. When it speaks of a woman being barren, oftentimes we can make a jump to the spiritual barrenness of the culture or the people around. They were advanced in years, meaning that things had been this way for quite some time, and indeed they had. 400 years had passed since the last prophecies in Micah of the Old Testament. This is often known by theologians as the silent years. But Zacharias... Zacharias and Elizabeth, 
because they were blameless, because they were righteous, had placed themselves in the position in order to receive this great joy from the Lord. It doesn't mean that they were sinless, but they were faithful. They were faithful. And the Bible is clear to point that out. For you and I, our righteousness comes through Christ. And there is no true, real, lasting joy apart from a relationship with Jesus. The Old Testament in the writings, it was pointing to the dawning of true joy, the dawning of Jesus Christ coming upon the earth and bringing true joy for humanity, righteousness through Christ. Zacharias and Elizabeth, they were looking for the coming of Messiah. But they were also blameless. The, the, the righteousness that was imputed or is imputed to you and I through a Christ for Zacharias and Elizabeth, their blamelessness was their response to that. They desired to be faithful to the Lord by being blameless, walking in the commandments of God. They were putting forth action, determination, you want to say willpower, to act in a way that was pleasing to God. If you or I say we're in relationship with Jesus, if we have encountered the cross of Christ, we have a responsibility to act in a way that shows that we've encountered the cross of Christ. You see, the challenge is that oftentimes people want to say a prayer and yet have no desire to actually turn, have no real repentance. There's no true godly repentance. There's simply worldly repentance that says, I'm sorry, but there's no true godly repentance that says, I have offended God. And if I believe that my actions are an offense to God, then I have a desire to turn from those actions to please the one who saves me by his death upon the cross. You see, that's how we put ourselves into the position of receiving the blessing of the Lord. God, through Christ, has made a way for us to be made righteous or that righteousness to be imputed to us. But you and I also have a responsibility to put ourselves in such a place that we are blameless before the Lord, just as Zacharias and Elizabeth sought to be blameless before the the Lord. Not that they did every single thing perfect, but they were yearning after God and they wanted their actions to please the Lord, putting themselves in the place of blessing. Now, where I grew up, I like to talk about where I grew up a lot. You probably have caught that by now, but I grew up in Maryland and uh, as you know, uh, the Baltimore Orioles were our team of choice in Maryland. So when I was growing up, I would often, uh, we didn't, you know, we only had the television that came through the air. We didn't have cable or anything where I grew up. 
and so we uh, would watch the TV, we'd watch the Orioles, and if the Orioles weren't on TV, we'd listen to it on the radio. How many times I can recall going across the road to my grandparents where they didn't have air conditioning in the hot summertime with the windows up and the radio being on listening to an O's game? And the last time they won the World Series was in 1983. <laughs> so it's been quite a time. I'm not a baseball player, but I know a little bit about baseball. And if you're, at, uh, if you're, if you're the batter and you're at home plate, there is a batter's box on either side. If you're wanting to hit a home run, you're going to be either in the batter's box on this side or the batter's box on this side, depending on what hand is your dominant hand to swing the bat. So you're going to be in the position of being able to hit a home run when the pitcher throws the ball. You have to place yourself in the position in order to be able to hit the home run. Now, if this is home plate and I'm trying to bat the ball behind where the pitcher is throwing, that's the wrong place to be, isn't it? I'm in the wrong spot. I'm not in the position where I have the opportunity to hit a home run. If I'm walking around and I'm trying to bat the ball over at first base, I'm in the wrong position, am I not? I can't hit a home run from first base. I can't hit a home run from second base. I can't hit a home run from the shortstop position or the outfield position. I have to be in the right position, and we can all say, hey, I'm in Christ, I'm in Christ, I'm in Christ. We can all say I have God's imputed righteousness that's been given to me, but if we're not living in the place of blamelessness where we're eager to place our life in the pathway of blessing, we will never experience the fullness of joy that God has for us. You and I must be willing to put ourselves in the place where God has said, these are the rules of the game, and if you want the place of optimal joy, get in the batter's box. You're not going to get it in everything else that you are searching after. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, pray for God to give you a desire for righteousness. You ought not be looking at certain things. You ought not be doing certain things. You ought not be smoking certain things. No, I need to kind of keep the list going. What I'm trying to say is God is not trying to say to you, hey, you can't do these things because these are things I just want to knock off your list. God is trying to say to you, I want you to be in the place of maximum joy. And these things will not bring you maximum joy. I want you to be in the batter's box so that when the time comes, you're able to hit the home run. Too often, we come to Christ and we think, that's it, I'm good, I'm safe now, I don't have to be in the place of uh, thinking I'm heading off into hell, I'm safe, now I can do whatever I want. God wants you to be in the place of maximum joy in your life, even in the midst of sorrow and pain of this world. in the place of maximum joy. 
Zacharias and Elizabeth, while they had come along and they had the righteousness of God, they were seeking to, the scripture says very clearly, they were seeking to walk blamelessly, putting forth effort, desire, earnestness to walk blamelessly before the Lord. And verse 7 says, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. Oftentimes, the position of joy comes at a place where you and I have a deep longing for God to intervene. A deep longing for God to move in such a way that no one else could intervene and that nothing else will be able to accomplish it. For Zacharias and Elizabeth, there was no way at this point, it was improbable, if not impossible, for them to have a child. But yet they longed for a child anyway. They continued to long for a child. They had no lineage of their own. And oftentimes what we see in Scripture is that longing and difficulty are a hallmark of the Christian life. Interesting, isn't it? Israel waiting, calling out, desiring Messiah to come, desiring a rescue, longing for God to come. That would have been part of Zacharias' prayer while he was offering incense. And in that place, God had put them where they were righteous, where they were walking blamelessly before him, and yet there was this deep longing. They were in the position to receive joy. Verse 8 says, Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition or your prayer has been heard. Prayer. We want to experience the joy of the Lord. We have to be a people of prayer. Zacharias was praying for God's grace in his own life as he was praying for God's grace for his people. There were people outside who were also praying. They were praying for him. They were praying for their own country. They were praying for Messiah to come. And the angel of the Lord responds and says, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. James 5 and 16 says the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Another version reads the prayer of a righteous person has great effectiveness. 
Another point for trying to live righteously in Christ Jesus. For seeking to be blameless before the Lord. Our prayer comes and it is an expression both of the joy and the agony of the heart. In a wealthy society such as our own, we often lack the inclination to pray because we can usually find the resources to buy whatever it is that we would earnestly pray for. We often have the, the resources at our disposal to be able to just buy or go to the doctor or do this or do that in order to accomplish whatever needs to happen instead of praying for it. Whereas our brothers and sisters who exist in places where those things aren't readily available are often those who have great faith. Prayer, being in the proper position being earnest in prayer, not giving up. Think of how long Zacharias and Elizabeth would have prayed for a child. Probably married much younger than any of us. Both of them being out of priestly lineages, they would have been an ideal couple, and yet there would have been derision against them because they did not have a child, plus their own thoughts of not having a lineage that would pass on, which was very difficult in that culture and society. A longing after a child. Praying over and over again, God, give us a child. Give us a child. God, give us a child. Not happening until they were well advanced in years when it seemed, why are you still praying for this, Zacharias? It's not going to happen. You're too old, man. What are you doing? And yet still petitioning the Lord, being earnest in prayer, brings about joy in the plan of God, and we see that God certainly did have a plan. Verse 14 tells us, it says, you, Zacharias, will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at the birth of John. Gabriel speaks prophetically about the plan of God, which will come about. He says that John will be great in the sight of the Lord that he will be a morally upright man, that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit from within his mother's womb, that he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to their God, that he will be the forerunner of Messiah, that he will live in the power and the spirit and power of Elijah, that he will help turn the heart of the fathers back to their children, that he will help turn the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, and that he will help make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Imagine Zacharias' thought, hey, I just prayed for a child, but I'm getting all this too. I'm just praying for a kid to carry on the lineage, and yet, God, you abundantly bless me over what I could ask or think or what I could hope for. Oftentimes, it is that we wait and we wait and we wait and we wait, and God's abundant blessing comes at just the right moment above what we could ask, think, or hope for. He had only asked for a child, and yet God blessed him with the forerunner of the Messiah. 
Had God blessed Zacharias and Elizabeth with a child when they were young, they would have had joy at the birth of the child. But blessing them after longing for a child, when it seemed an impossibility, brought them an exceedingly great joy. Blessing them with a child in old age would have brought them joy. But blessing them with the forerunner of Jesus brought them exceedingly great joy. Flip your page over to Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 68. This uh, prophecy prayer of Zacharias. Hear the words of this dad who wants his son is born and he looks upon him what he proclaims in an exaltation to the Lord. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old salvation salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy towards our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, you, John, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet out into the way of peace just think of a dad who's been told by an angel and now he looks upon John who at this point had been born and he has this joy of what God has done and what God will do exceedingly great joy. That is what God wants you and I to have. Second final illustration. I need uh, four, if I could have just four people here in the front to help me a moment. Need two on this side and two on this side, please. I hope I can get the. I hope these won't be tangled. I need these stretched across the front, please. Uh, stretch that one. We'll stretch that one across too. If it's gone or not. Yeah. Yep. There you go. I want you to think of one of these strings as just kind of God's. We'll stretch them out. Uh, uh, as best you can there. It's okay. They don't, have to be, uh, they don't have to be all the way. But I want you to think of one of these strings as God's plan in history, God's plan that's going to happen, God's plan that's going to come uh, to, to pass. And this other string, I want you to think of your time of prayer, what you're seeking God for, what you are earnestly desiring for God in your life and in uh, the purpose that he has for you and God's plan. And what God is gracious at doing is he takes his specific plan for you and his specific purpose for you and it intersects his plan for humanity. 
And so we begin this prayer like Zacharias, praying for a child, grant us a child, give us a child. But God had a specific point in time that he had already predetermined when that prayer was going to be answered. Because there was a specific time, Galatians 4.4 tells us, in the fullness of time, at the exact right time, God was sending forth his son, born of a virgin, in order to redeem humanity. There's a specific place in human history that God was working toward. And God, while Zacharias began a prayer, probably as a young man, God determined in his sovereign grace that there was going to be a point just before Messiah comes where Zacharias' prayer and the plan of God begins to intersect. And it's that point where our prayer and God's plan intersects that exceedingly great joy comes into our life. It's that point where we pray. And the problem at times is, is that we stop praying. We stop seeking. We stop walking before the Lord in an upright way. We give up. But God has a perfect plan for you and for me. And sometimes the deepest longings of your heart, God is saying, wait, wait, wait. There's an intersection point with the plan that only I can see. And at that point, it will bring you not just joy, not just happiness. It will bring you exceedingly great joy. See, back here, when Zacharias began praying, God could have said, sure, I'll answer the prayer, and that would have been joy at a young child that would have been born. God could have said, okay, I'm going to answer again this prayer in your old age, Zacharias. Everybody's going to know I did it because you and your wife couldn't have had kids. Everybody's going to know, and that would have been joy too. But God said, no, I want you to have exceedingly great joy, and this child, this one is going to be the forerunner of of Messiah at just the right intersection point between your life, your prayers, your plan, and God's plan that is going to come to pass. You and I must not stop praying as we must not, thank you so much, as we must not stop longing. This is what the Advent season brings to us is a sense in the weeks leading up to Christmas in some small way of what it was like for Israel to long after the coming of Messiah. This is why week after week the the concept or the idea is the anticipation of the next candle being lit, waiting. See, we're not going to light this one today. You got to come back next week. (laughs) We're not going to do that one today. We're not going to do that one next Sunday. We'll do that one on Christmas Eve. We're going to wait. We're going to anticipate. That's part of the Christian life. But we've been, uh, we have been programmed and specifically in our culture where this is this notion of instantaneous gratitude. We're being programmed that God must answer me now or he doesn't love me. God must answer me now or he doesn't care. But God has a plan that will come to pass. And in his perfect plan, what he wants for you is to have not just joy, but exceedingly great joy in his plan and purpose that he has for you and for me individually, but also in the plan he has for the church locally and the church universally. Only God is able to bring those things together in such a way that he gets glory and we have joy. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and let's have 
a time of uh, prayer and worship uh, together here this morning. The altars are always open for you to come and pray. Firstly, if you, if you don't know the Lord, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, uh, we, we want to intercede with you. Maybe today uh, the Lord has just kind of touched your heart and you say, hey, God is doing something. I'm not quite sure, but I feel drawn to him. You want others to intercede and to pray with you. We want you to come and let people just stand with you and encourage you in in prayer maybe there's some of you this morning that you have been at that place of of deep longing you're longing for the lord to do something you're longing for a point or a place of god to just intercede god to intervene uh, in your life in such a way that you know it is the lord and you're pressing into that and god is speaking to you god desires to minister to you He desires to be gracious to you, I believe, and to help you to continue to persevere in your prayers and your walk before the Lord. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're at that place where you have accepted the Lord as Savior. You believe Jesus is Lord. You believe there's, there is that one way through Jesus. You have to go through Jesus in order to get to God, in order to be saved from the wrath that is to come. You have to go through Jesus because no one can go to the Father except through the Lord Jesus. You say, yes, I believe that. I understand that. I believe that. And yet there are the pulls of this life. You receive the imputed righteousness of Christ, but yet that walking blamelessly part is really tough for you this morning. You say, Lord, I need your help to, to put myself in the batter's box. I've been trying to hit a home run from the outfield. And God, I need your help to keep me in that batter's box where I'm I'm ready, Lord. I'm at the place where I desire to receive that maximum blessing from you, that exceedingly great joy, God, that you have promised to those who love you, even in the midst of sorrow and pain. When you're, if you're in that place this morning, I can, I can tell you, you won't, you won't make, that, make that shift alone. You need help. You've received the grace of Christ, but you can't get in that, in that batter's box. You can't get in that, that place to be positioned in the place that God, God wants you because of the temptations of this life. You need others to stand with you, to intercede for you, to help you to walk with you through this journey of life. As they sing and lift up the name of Jesus, uh, we're just going to have a time of prayer here. If you want to come, if you want to stay at your seat and pray, uh, however the Lord leads there. But if you need specific prayer, you need someone to stand with you, I invite you to come to the front as they lead us in worship here for just a few moments. And then we'll have a time of uh, concluding prayer. Uh, this morning. So Lord bless you as we pray together.
Thank you for being a part of Riverstone Church. I hope today's message encouraged you to take a step closer to Christ. If there is anything we can pray for or talk with you about, please visit our website at riverstonechurch.net. May the Lord bless you this week and may you walk in all of his promises and plans for your life.